just because I know some are going to ask. The next five weeks, we are entering into this probably, um, well, it's a mini-series, I guess, but a series on prayer. And it is what I've probably been most looking forward to teaching on in a long time, not because I have any great wisdom to offer you, but because this is something that I need to study and this is something that I need to learn more every day. And so at the end of every Sunday through July, what we're going to do is we're actually going to, quite literally, I'm going to practice what I preach. And we're going to pray through scripture together. The argument that I'm going to give you over the next few weeks is that praying scripture is going to be foundational for our prayer life moving forward. And so we're going to actually practice together. What, is that, what does that look like? And again, not because that I have some wisdom that I'm trying to model to you so that you can go home and do this, but because I have been taught by many wonderful writers who have a far deeper and, and more rich prayer life than anything I have ever experienced. In. And I think we all want that. And so that's where we're headed in the next few weeks here. So let me begin with a quote uh, from Martin Luther. He said this, To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Let me say that again. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. And yet, over the 20 years as a pastor, I would say that this is probably a topic that more people have struggled with than any other single topic. The amount of people that have come to me and, and we've had conversation together asking, what is prayer? How should we pray? What am I supposed to say? Does, does prayer change anything? These and so many other questions about prayer have been asked, but, but my fear is that for many people is those questions not only go unanswered, but they go unasked because we feel like we should know. We know what well, we should pray, Prayer is in the Bible. Prayer is, is, is how we communicate with God. So, so we know we should do this, but we struggle with understanding exactly how to do it, what it looks like. And, and, and so we end up sitting maybe quietly and, and not sure what to say, or maybe we say way too many things and not listen enough. And so the goal of what this morning and, and these next five weeks, ultimately we're going to answer those questions that I already asked. But this morning's goal is that we're going to answer this question. Do you want to understand prayer? And do you want a more rich prayer life? That's the goal of what we're looking to this morning. And, and I'm going to quote from a lot of different sources, but one book that you can write down uh, is called Prayer, Experiencing On Intimacy with God by Tim Keller. And Tim Keller passed away just recently. And in an interview that I watched with him a few months before he passed on, he said something so profound to me that just kind of rocked my understanding of this. Uh, Tim Keller's history goes that he was uh, a pastor in New York City. And if you've ever watched any of his sermons or listened to his podcasts, highly intellectual individual because his church uh, had the distinction of having the most PhD people per capita in any church in the world. There's pressure for you, hey? And so he was a, a very interesting, and, and he calls himself, before he came to faith, a skeptic, and so always approached everything uniquely, and prayer was one of these things, and, and then he got uh, thyroid cancer. 
And as he journeyed through cancer with him and his wife, uh, this book came out of that. And in this book, he said that the depth to which his prayer life grew through having to trust God, through the uncertainty, was, was one of the most intimate experiences of his life. But then he beat cancer. And then he had a, a long and a fruitful ministry until he got pancreatic cancer in the last couple of years. And as I was watching this interview, this is someone who has written this book on prayer that, is, that has just challenged me so much, is he once again said that the thing that pancreatic cancer taught him more than anything is that his prayer life before the cancer was horrible compared to after. And here's a guy who literally wrote the book on prayer. And yet as he was forced to surrender on his knees, God, why did you allow this to happen? Why would you let me beat cancer once only to get it a second time and, and now have this ultimately going to take my life? And all the questions that come with that are the things that drew him closer and closer and closer to Jesus. And so as Maybe I'll say it this way. Prayer is a weird thing. It's in the moments of utter despair that God reveals to us the need for prayer. But my hope as we have this conversation, as we wrestle through passages of Scripture, as we consider what God has shown us is that we won't wait until the crisis happens for us to learn how to pray but that we'll become a church that values prayer exceedingly high. As Luther said, that prayer would be a very part of our DNA of our life. So before we look at a few scripture passages, let's just define it really, really simply in its most basic form. There is nothing awe-inspiring about this statement. It's probably going to leave you, leave you a little bit underwhelmed, but prayer is simply this, communication with God. It's active conversation. And like I said, maybe the active part is difficult for us. Maybe we just sit there because we don't know what to say or how to say it. Well, I hope we learn how through what the scripture passage is going to teach us. But perhaps you're on the other end where you've, uh, maybe it's been modeled to you that praying is predominantly asking God for things. God, I need this. I need you to show up in this moment. I need this thing to happen. I need, I need, I need. And certainly, as we're going to see, part of prayer is asking, but only part of it. The tricky thing is, when you think about prayer as talking with God, it's communication with God, is for most of us, what we probably have experienced is that when we sit down quietly and we ask God something, we don't just hear an audible voice in return answering our question the way that we would like. And so that relationship with God feels a little bit strange. When I go to Shayla and I ask her a question about something, she responds immediately, whether I like her response or not. That's a different question. That's part of relationship. Is what do you think about this? And you're asking someone something that they might think differently than you. Well, I promise you this is God does think differently than you. But so how do we, how do we have a conversation with God when he doesn't answer back, at, at least not the way we would expect? Well, the thesis of these next five weeks is going to be that God has spoken back to you. God has revealed to you 
what is true. And so we're going to get there in, in a few moments. J.I. Packer uh, once wrote this, and, and this is going to be the starting point for us. And again, you might be underwhelmed here. There's no recipe for prayer that can work for us like a handyman's do-it-yourself manual or cookery book. Where the claim is that if you follow the instructions, you can't go wrong. Prayer is not like carpentry or cookery. It is the active exercise of a personal relationship, a kind of friendship with the living God and his son, Jesus Christ. There's no specific formula. Depending on your personality type, that might be very difficult news for you. Some of you might want to just say, well, well, just give me exactly the list of what should I say, how should I say, when should I say it, and then I'll do it every day. But the idea of not having that kind of structure might be very overwhelming uh, to you. Well, as we close this morning in a little while, we're going to look at a very bare-bones structure of something that Jesus taught to give us at least, at least a starting place for how to pray and what to pray. But it's so much more than that because prayer is simply conversation with God. And if we're going to have conversation with God, that means that we need to talk with him. So here's a quote from Keller's book on prayer. He says this. He argues there are two predominant reasons why people pray. He says many people will pray when they are required by cultural or social expectations or perhaps by the anxiety caused by troubling circumstances. I think the reality is often we only go to prayer and God when we can't figure out the solution on our own. We think we know what we ought to do, so we step forward and we just do it. We don't even commune with God in it. And many of you, and, and me probably more than anybody, have struggled with this reality of, I thought this was the right thing to do, and I set forth and I did it, and it backfired on me. I didn't listen to what God was teaching, what God was showing. Well, 1 Thessalonians 5.17 gives us the place to begin. Probably the shortest verse on prayer in all of Scripture, and it says this, three words, pray without ceasing. So, here's the question. How often do you pray? Always. Right? Without ceasing. So that doesn't literally mean that we bow our head and our, we fold our hands and, and we pray. If we did that when we were driving, that would not end very well. But how many of you, especially on a long weekend when you're in your car, pray unceasingly while you're driving down Banff Avenue? Well, you can't do that now, but... Regular conversation with God throughout the day. Well, what does that look like? What, what kind of things do we talk about with God? Well, Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in, what does it say? In everything. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So when are we to pray? Always. What are we to pray? Everything. This is what relationship 
looks like. And so let me give you a really, really silly uh, example in, in our own lives. Some of you maybe don't have this problem, but uh, in our home, we tend to forget a lot of things from the grocery store. And so we end, well, I end up driving out to IGA because we forgot something, and I don't want to admit how often it's just snacks for that evening. But that's a different issue for a different time. And I almost, okay, now if you know Banff, we live here, IGA is literally one kilometer away. So I should walk, yes, I already heard that, okay. But when I'm in the car and I'm driving there and back, this is not a long trip. And almost never do I make it to IGA before I phone Shayla. Because something funny happened on the way. Some animal did something crazy. Some well-meaning tourist did something crazy. No offense to the tourists here. Something strange I saw or experienced, or more than like the acute dog that I saw that I wanted to know about. That's what it means to have conversation about everything. I don't want to experience these things without Shayla. And maybe, maybe you have this experience if you're married is, is when your spouse is off at work or, or you're away at work or maybe they're away for, for a course somewhere and you're away for a week or two weeks at a time or or something where you're, you're apart for a little while and you just feel like it's not quite right. Because the person that you talk with about everything isn't there. Well, this is what our relationship is meant to be with God. That literally, that we're in conversation with him about every and anything that happens in our day. No matter how big, no matter how small. In his book, The Common Rule, Justin Early explains this, and I thought this was deeply profound. This is his, his comment is in response to, basically, we all pray in one way or another, but how do you pray is what matters. And he says this, unless we create new habits of gospel prayers in the morning, we'll start the day with some kind of prayer we've borrowed from the world. Whether it's anxiety-ridden regret or self-sufficient resolve, something fills our minds as soon as we awake, directing us to look beyond ourselves or at least deeper within. And here's the key. He says this. Here's the thing. Unless we intend for our prayers to accord with truth, they won't. That's a heavy sentence. Unless we intend for our prayers to accord with truth, they won't. This is the single truth about prayer that has started to reform everything about how I think of prayer. And we're going to talk about this at length, but this is, this is where we're going to end up here. Is we need to learn to pray scripture. Because scripture is God's word written to us, for us, that we would know who he is. So one of the things that we're going to practice, not today, but in the next four weeks, is learning to pray the Psalms, because in the Psalms, we see every possible situation that, ever, that we could ever go through. From seasons of thanksgiving and hope, to seasons of lament, to seasons of joy, to seasons of hurt, to seasons of, of clarity, to seasons of confusion and heartache. In fact, in the paper that I'm writing for this next week, is, it's on Psalm 139, and the first kind of 18 verses of that psalm are very poetic and beautiful and, and point to God's goodness. And then all of a sudden it shifts, and we read the verse where David cries out, Oh, that you would slay the wicked. Are we allowed to pray that? It's 
God's word, how do we wrestle with that? How do we learn what it means to have an imprecatory prayer? Uh, how do we learn that God is the one who's going to avenge? Well, what Justin Early is explaining to us is that unless we really seek to have prayers of truth, we're not going to have prayers of truth. And maybe you've experienced this in your own life where you've prayed and pleaded for God for something that, that wouldn't come to pass because we have not lived in submission to his will of what is right for our lives. And we've pushed our own desires. We need to direct our anxieties to the God of truth, not to the shifting opinions of the world that change every 20 minutes, but to a holy God who never changes, who is always constant. And so I want to read just a few other verses here uh, about prayer before we actually practice what it looks like. In Matthew 26, 41, it says this, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is what? Now, without raising your hand, how many of us know that to be all too true? Paul in Romans 7 has that argument with himself. I, I know the good that I ought to do and that, that I want to do. But I don't end up doing that. I do the very thing that I hate. See, there's a problem, and that problem is sin nature within us. And so we need to be on watch, and we need to pray that we would not enter into temptation. We need to rely on his strength and not our own. And that's probably one of the single most difficult things for us because our culture, our world constantly tells you, you are enough. The Bible says Jesus is enough. The Bible teaches us that you cannot do it on your own. And, and not only that, you were not created to do it on your own. We were created to be in relationship with Christ and in relationship with one another. James 5.16 says this, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And there's a lot to unpack in that verse, and we're not going to do all that this morning. We're going to talk about this one again later. But how many times do we come to God in confession of prayer? But then more importantly in this, confess your sins to who? To one another. Is that the most terrifying thought you've ever had in your life? I think for many of us it is because we don't know what it means to be vulnerable. We don't know what it means to sit down with another brother or sister in the Lord and to admit that we don't have it all figured out. And yet the truth is, all of us know that about ourselves, don't we? I know that I don't have it all figured out. I know that I struggle with sin. I know that every single person in Scripture, other than Jesus, gave in to sin. And so we're all in that same reality. So why pretend like we're not? Why put on this brave, strong face, pretending like, man, you should, you should, you should just, well, maybe let's say it this way. And this is maybe a little bit rude, but this is what we said often. We'll just suck it up. It's not a very helpful response, is it? Shouldn't it be confess our sins to one another so that, so that our, our church family would surround us in prayer and lift us up so that they would intercede on our behalf knowing the struggles that we have so that we can work together for the good of what God has called us to do? 
James finishes by saying, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Is there power in prayer? Now, we're going to talk about that, and and does prayer change anything? We're going to get to that in the weeks ahead. But he says there's power there. Alternatively, in 1 Peter 3, 7, I'm not going to read it, but I just want to mention it, is, is Peter says that if husbands are not loving their wives according to the way Christ has called them to, then God won't even listen to their prayers. This is huge. Not only are we to pray for our fellow Christians, 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2a says this, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. We are to pray for our leaders, for our government, and for our world. Notice how in that verse it doesn't say complain about your leaders. We got that part down good, don't we? Canada and the United States, maybe especially right now. I mentioned this last week, but when I was back at seminary a few weeks back, somebody mentioned this comment of, if our prayers don't supersede our complaints, then what are we doing? If I'm going to sit around and complain about all the things that God and his sovereignty has allowed to happen, but I haven't even conversed with him and asked him to help me understand, then what am I doing? Romans 8, 26 and 27 says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Do not miss those sentences. It's literally saying that when you don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit prays on your behalf. That he is lifting you up. I don't know if there's a more beautiful truth than that. We've just barely scratched the surface of dealing with a few verses in prayer. But I just want us to see the importance and the relevance here. As Tim Keller wrote in his book, there is nothing more important or harder or richer or more life-altering There is absolutely nothing so great as prayer. I remember reading that for the first time thinking, I wish that was true in my life. I know it academically to be true, but practically, do I believe that? Okay, so now here we go. Here's where we're going to move for the next five weeks. How, How do we accomplish this? There's a book that I would highly recommend you get. It's one of the shortest books. Um, I think it's like 80 pages or something. It's by Donald Whitney, and it's called Praying the Bible. And when I read this book, it deeply challenged everything that I thought I understood about, about prayer. And Whitney wrote this book in response to what people in his own church, what they thought about prayer and what they said about prayer. And so we talked with another uh, leader, and John Piper writes this at the beginning of chapter one of his book. He says this, If I try to pray for people or events without having the word of God in front of me, guiding my prayers, then several negative things happen. One is that I tend to be very repetitive. 
I just pray the same things all the time. Another negative things, or another negative thing is that my mind tends to wander. Anybody here can relate to that? I, I know I should pray. And so I take moments to pray, and then all of a sudden my mind's all over the place. Here's what Whitney's thesis in his whole book is about, is when you have the word of God in front of you, and you pray the words of Scripture, that you don't have to think, what should I pray? It's there for you to pray. It directs you. It keeps you attentive. It keeps you focused on what needs to be said. Because here's his argument. He says this, is people tend to say the same old things about the same old things, and that's why people stop praying. I think his conclusion is exactly right. God, I don't know what to pray. I don't know how to pray. I don't know even what to say in these moments. So then why not pray the inspired words of the Bible written from the Holy Spirit to us? Because then we know their truth. Back to Early's comment is we're going we're gonna to pray one way or another. Are we going to pray in truth or are we going to pray in my own very limited perspective? So we're going to practice that over the next four weeks. So I want you to turn to Matthew 6, unshockingly, because I think this is a good place for us to begin. Now again, there's no specific formula for us to learn, oh, this is exactly how to pray. But Jesus does give us some, what theologians call a very bare-bones structure of how to approach God in prayer. And Matthew 6 is, is the most well-known in the Gospels of this section. But, but in Luke's Gospel, he records something in 11 verse 1 where the disciples are hearing Jesus pray. They're kind of around him as he's praying, and they respond with this. They say, Jesus, teach us to pray. Now, these are the disciples These are young Jewish men who had grown up in the synagogue, who had the Jewish law all around their everyday lives, and yet they heard Jesus pray and went, we need to learn to pray because we don't understand it. Friends, if the disciples needed to learn how to pray, I think it's safe to say that we probably do too. And so in Matthew 6, 5 to 8, which we're not going to read, Jesus first, he says, there's two things not to do when you pray. One is don't do it in front of everybody. So don't don't just pray in your church at the front or in the street corners outside so that other people would see you and go, man, look how spiritual that person is. Because if that's our focus, then our prayers are in vain. He also warns, don't pray with many, many words, thinking that somehow you can barter with God, that if your prayer is long enough or you speak eloquently enough, that then he will hear you. Neither of these things are true, and so Jesus says this in verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. These are very familiar words to many of us. Many of us probably grew up praying those things every day. And so here's my question, and and this is a reflection of my own heart. I'm not accusing anybody of this. 
But I know that I used to pray this every day at the beginning of school. And then the school said you can't pray in church anymore. Or sorry, this, the government said you can't pray in school anymore. And so I stopped praying this. Why? Because I couldn't do it in school? I thought I shouldn't do it at all? This should be a regular thing. This should have been something that if I can't do it there, then I guess I'll do it before I go to school. Before I go to work. Now again, this is not a specific formula, but there are some things in here that are really important for us. Notice what Jesus says. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven. What is he doing at the very beginning of that prayer? Acknowledging where we are and where God is. Hallowed be your name or holy be your name. We ought to understand that we come to a holy God that doesn't have to listen to us and yet loves us enough that he listens to every word. There should be humility in the beginning of all of our prayers, recognizing the privilege it is to, stand, to sit, stand, whatever, however you're praying, before a holy God who hears you and wants to be in relationship with you. Again, I think one of the things that we do really good in our culture in prayer is we ask for things. Do we ask in humility or do we ask demanding? In fact, a number of years ago, there was a theology pushed forward, and it's very kind of, it's been coined this way, is name it and claim it. Say it and demand that God should give it to you. Does that seem to be in accord with any of the prayers that you'll find in Scripture? Now, Hebrews says we can boldly approach the throne of God, but why can we boldly approach? Because of the blood of Christ. And so when we think of that, we ought to come to God with humility. He then says, your kingdom come and your will be done. What does it mean for God's kingdom to come? Simply this. One commentator said, for the continual advance of God's kingdom here on earth. Or maybe more simply put, we should pray that people come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. I think we're way too quick to pray for ourselves for the perceived needs that we have and forgetting that what we should start praying for is the salvation of our friends and our neighbors and our families. Beyond that, those that hate us and persecute us. Your will be done? Well, exactly that. Jesus prayed this in the Garden of Gethsemane, didn't he? Your will, not mine, be done. When we're going through heartache and pain and difficulty and we want to be taken out of that, do we pray specifically only for that or do we pray, but God, not my will? If that's your will, then let that happen. But if it's not your will, then let me come to peace with the fact that you have a different plan. Help me to submit myself under you. On earth, as it is in heaven, because in heaven, everything is the way it should be. And one day, earth, We'll be like that again with the second coming of Christ. Give us this day our daily bread. Okay, there it is. Now we can ask for the things that we need. For the sustenance of our day. But this is not just the food that we eat. And we talked about this in Exodus as we've been wrestling through that. It, it, it's also the reality that our everything comes from God. And so if you wake up in the morning and you're on this side of the grass... 
praise the Lord because he has given you life today. It's not because we deserve it. It's not because we've earned it. It's because he has graciously given us what we need. Remember, Paul wrestles with this when he's nearing the end of his life, and he goes, man, I want to go and be with Jesus. In fact, he says to die would be gain, doesn't he? How many of us think that way? It would be better to be with Jesus. But then he also says, but I know that God has called me to a purpose, and so it's better for you that I am here right now. Forgive us our debts. Now, this is a tricky thing that people struggle with, is do we, do we ask for forgiveness of the things that Jesus already died on the cross for? Well, not if we think that Christ needs to re-forgive us of sin. But just like every relationship, if we say something or do something that hurts another person, even if they've chosen already to forgive us, we ought to confess that to them. You know, I do a lot of weddings, and in those weddings there's often vows that are, whether they're written or, or whether they're borrowed from kind of some of the old traditional ones, is there's usually this sense of, I will forgive you till death do us part. Do we mean that? Or is that just something we're saying? Well, we can only do that because Christ has forgiven us. And so when we are reminded that Christ has forgiven us, then we can forgive those who have forgiven against us. That's the second part of this. Forgive us and then help us to forgive others. And then finally, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. I had this conversation with someone just this last week is, can we blame Satan when we give into temptation? Is it his fault or is it our fault? The answer there is simply yes. Yes, Satan is actively trying to have you fall and stumble. But you're in control of your actions and no one else. So Jesus tells us, here's what it looks like to pray. Now again, this is just, we're just scratching the very surface of this. And over the next few weeks, uh, we're going to do something. I don't usually do this. It's a little bit kind of cheesy and, what's the word? The acronym? don't really use that usually, but I think this is a helpful thing. So how many of you have heard of the prayer acts? It's adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And we're going to spend the next four weeks looking at that. What does adoration prayer look like? And how, when we incorporate adoration prayer in our lives, do we get a better or more a full perspective of God rather than our life? Confession. Not because we need to be re-forgiven of sin. Christ died on the cross once for all for the forgiveness of all of us. If we would confess Jesus as Lord. So why do we confess? We confess the same reason that we do with any other relationship. Because there's something that blocks the, the fullness of that relationship. When we've wronged another person. When we've hurt God. It's not as though the sacrifice of the cross doesn't forgive us of that sin. But it does impede that relationship with God. Thanksgiving, I love how Ernie always says this. Probably 80% of the time when he prays is he says, we can't start a prayer without saying thank you. Is our perspective, again, will go way beyond our own selves when we choose to be thankful for the things that we do have instead of the things that we don't. And then supplication 
praying on behalf of others and for others. And so we're going to look at Psalms of how to do that. But this morning, we're going to close. And again, like I said, like literally, I'm going to practice what I preach here. Not because the words that I'm about to pray somehow have any special meaning. They don't. I'm simply trying to call us into this. And I'm just going to lead you in this. But I'm hoping that you're praying these things internally as well. Because I want us to see what it looks like to pray scripture. When I read this book, Praying the Bible by Donald Whitney, halfway through, and maybe some of you with personalities like mine will, will understand this, is halfway through, he, he has this section where he says, okay, stop reading. And now practice what we've just talked about. And I was like, no. I'll keep reading and I'll do it later. And I kept reading and a page later, did you stop? How did he know? Probably because most of us don't stop. So eventually I was convicted enough that I stopped and I prayed and I gave the book to Shayla and I asked her and of course she went, did you stop and did you pray? Well, yeah, he told me to. Some of us maybe just understand, okay, here's, here's what we need to do. And some of us maybe have just, maybe our sinful nature is just a little bit more on display that we don't want to submit to other people. We just want to do things in our way in our time. And so I stopped and I prayed. And I'm just on the beginning learning of this. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to read the Lord's Prayer. It'll be up on the screen for you. We're going to read it together. Then you can have a seat. And then I'm just going to pray through that. And I'm just going to try and model to all of us. And I, and I hope you're praying along with me for these things. So verse 9 again says, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You can have a seat. God, as we, in these next few weeks, as we seek to understand prayer more deeply, may we practice the prayers that we find in Scripture. Not simply as a technique, but because we know that we're praying the very words of God. So God, first we acknowledge in this first line, you are in heaven and we are here. We think we know, and I think that I know so much sometimes. But the truth is that my perspective is so limited. And so when I come to pray, help me to not just immediately go to the things that I want, but help me to recognize that you are holy. That your name is, is holy, that as I approach you in prayer, that I am speaking to the creator of all things, and that he hears me. Help me to never see that as normal or ordinary. Help me to see it as supernatural. Your kingdom come and your will be done. God, we pray and I pray for those in my life who do not know Jesus as Savior. 
whether it's coworkers, friends, or family. Each of us probably has someone in our hearts and in our minds, and God, we pray that they would understand the message of the gospel, that they would see their need for you. We don't pray these things so that somehow our church would would grow and we would receive honor from that. We pray these things so that your kingdom would grow. So that heaven would grow. God, we pray that your will would be done in our lives even when that is painful, even when we don't understand it. Help us to submit to you, believing, as we've already sung, that you are sovereign over all things. And so may we not push our own agenda, but may we seek yours. Give us today our daily bread. God, for those things that we need today, not only the physical, but the emotional, the mental, the spiritual. We pray that you would give us what we need each and every day. That we would not learn to rely on our own hands, but just as with the Israelites in the wilderness that as manna fell, that they understood that you were sustaining them. May we too see that, that you are the one giving us our daily bread. God, for those decisions that we make, for the selfish heart that we listen to so often. We know that Jesus' blood has covered and cleansed us and that all those sins have been forgiven from a salvific point of view. But from a relational point of view, God, we confess all the things that we have done and said that hurt you. The things that are infringing upon our relationship. God, may we lay those things at the foot of the cross knowing that they're forgiven, but offering them to you nonetheless again so that we would have closer intimacy with you. And as we think about Jesus forgiving our sins, may we forgive those who sin against us. God, would you give us a humble heart would we recognize that we don't deserve forgiveness and yet you have offered it to us. And so when we feel that we shouldn't forgive someone else or we shouldn't have to forgive someone else, that you through the Holy Spirit would empower us to forgive anyway. May we not hold grudges. May we not seek our own desires in someone else's in relationships with other people. Would we not seek our own way? Would we forgive those who have sinned against us? God, we pray that you, (laughs) that our own heart already leads us into temptation all the time. We pray that you would guard our hearts from that. That you would show us what is good and true and right and that we would want to pursue those things. That we would see the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of scripture 
the, the beauty of Jesus and that we would desire that far more than anything that the world has to offer us. God, would you make the things of this world less appealing in our hearts? But God, we also know that we live in a, in a world where Satan is actively trying to oppress. And so we pray that you would deliver us from evil. That we wouldn't trust in our own strength to deliver us. That we wouldn't think that somehow that we can fight temptation on our own. But in humility that we would call to you and submit to you. God, as we close this morning, I am convinced and convicted that my spiritual maturity will only grow as much as I seek you in prayer. And so over these next few weeks, would you reveal to us your heart for us through prayer? Would we have a deeper and more intimate walk with you? And would we see you for who you are as the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, a holy God who made a way for us to be reconciled through the blood of Jesus Christ. As we go from here, help us to follow after you. God, we love you. I'm looking forward to spending the next four weeks with you as we wrestle through what this looks like and what it means. If you have any questions, you can come find me at the front. Uh, as Ernie mentioned, there'll be some coffee and, and stuff in the, just through the, the curtain here or around the outside. There's no rush to get out of here. If you have any questions, please come find us. We hope you have a wonderful week.